get into that with you. So you said you left personal training to do the podcast. Well, in a way, okay, tell me <laughs> in a very that. small way, yeah. uh, I was a trainer for 10 years. And so like 10,000 hours with clients and, and learning how to hold the art of conversation. Most people don't realize this podcasters. There's a lot of podcasters that come from fitness because I think we all start at like the body level, you know, and what I teach in all my programs and just me as a human being is really a Pentagon. It's the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial self. And so when we start with the physical, that's always the gateway. It's like most people that are trainers, they end up being like personal development leaders or teachers, or for me, it was wellness. Uh, and so I left fitness to go into wellness because wellness is really what my soul was craving anyways. And it's what most people are craving too. But the, the gateway for me was like 10 years being in the industry. And then when I was burnt out, I had a pretty, well, two dark nights of the soul. <laughs> and then, uh, that led me to being a podcast host. Yeah. So Tell me about those two dark nights of the soul. I feel like I can't brush over that. Okay. So I think all human, all shared human experience happens when we're at our lowest point. In other words, adversity bonds us. Like when I get stabbed with a sword of adversity, we all kind of bleed the blood of gratitude or not. It's a choice. And so for me, I was sitting on a golf course. Uh, it was 2014 at the end of 2014. I had just put my mom in a mental home at that time. I had broken up with a woman I thought I was going to be with for a long time. And uh, I got fired, quote, quote, from a safe corporate job. And we all know there's no such thing as safety because to live is to be unsafe. And so it's like two, three in the morning. I had already started the podcast prep in my mind. And I just fell to my knees and I was crying. And all my stuff was around me in a spare bedroom and duffel bags. Like I'm talking the bottom of the barrel. I'm 35 years old. I'm trying to figure out what's going on in my life. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm late. I feel like there's no point to this stuff. I feel like, why am I here? What am I actually doing here? And I had this conversation with God. That was actually the first real conversation I've ever had with a higher power in my life. And it was at the lowest portion of my life because I just knew, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going back to living someone else's dream. No way. There's just something like in a soul agreement I could not allow myself to do it. And so I got to this place where I asked God, like, if you want me to do that, then take me out. I don't want to be here anymore. And it was that decision, Skip, it was that decision that made me move forward and actually doing something that my soul was aligned with, my purpose was aligned with, and that made all the difference. And so the next two or three years, I cut my teeth, I scrambled, I coached, I did everything I could to, quote, figure out how to be a podcaster. And then it's only been in the past two, three years I've been seven years of podcasting now that I've really felt the momentum because my soul was always pulling me here, always guiding me here, but I didn't have the experience. And I think a lot of us deal with this. We just don't have the life experience to know when the wisdom comes to us, we're not ready to receive it. So we get this wisdom, but we don't have the integration. We don't have the faculty on an emotional mental level to actually absorb what God is trying to tell us. And I don't think God is a bearded dude in the sky, <laughs> but I do think that God works in very, very, very mysterious ways. I mean, look at the changes you and I have both had in our lives. Yeah. When that was all beginning and you had the duffel bags all around you, why or how did you know that podcasting was going to be the thing? Like two or three years of cutting your teeth to eventually get to podcast and podcasting is it's not necessarily like a great career path, right? Like you've really got to rise to that. I mean, you have now, Yes. but back then, how would you have known? Like what was the driving force there? How did, what was the, the knowing? 
That's such a great question. And nobody's ever asked me that in my life. And I love that because when I was like 21 years old, 22, I had had so much experience listening to Dr. Drew on Loveline when I had my cassette recorder behind me as a little teenager. And I remembered like, I want to be on the radio. That was my thing. I was like, I'm going to be a DJ. I want to be on the radio. That'd be so fun. I actually lived in San Diego at the time. And I worked for this radio station called Rock 1037, The Planet. And I would go to like events and I would get on the mic at events at like Charger Games and, and talk. And so I thought, this is really fun. I wonder, I wonder if I could make a living at this. And I got so tainted by all these disc jockeys and all these guys with great voices off, off the air. They were assholes. I mean, they, they were like alcoholics, drug addicts. Like it was a very, and I think we all can kind of feel this from radio now because radio has really died and podcasting and what you and I are doing is the new grassroots. At the time though, I, I, I felt like it, it was too hard. I made up a story in my mind, which is what a lot of us do. I made up a story that it was going to be too hard for me to actually do what my dream was for me to actually do what my heart was calling me to. And I made this deal with the devil where I sold my soul. And I said, Oh, I'm going to do what I love on the side. And I'm going to do what makes me money front side. And at 21, you, you did this at 21. Yeah. Wow. Because I came from a lot of scarcity. I came from a, um, La Mesa, California, which if people don't know this, it's like geriatric wards and kind of uh, carbon copy cookie America. And so in that, in that low point in my life, I believe that God was directing me to have the most contrast possible. I needed to go to the depths. I need to ignore my soul's calling. I needed to turn off from the voice of higher power. I needed to disconnect from spirituality. I needed to be unwell in order for me to be shot like an arrow towards wellness. Otherwise, it would have never happened. And that's my path. It doesn't have to be that way for everybody. But a lot of us, and I can speak from my own story, we have to experience the other side of the darkness, the pain, the crunchiness for whatever reason. It's kind of a mystery why. <laughs> In order to be shot forward, in order to be, like fulfill our potential, we have to experience what it's like when we do the opposite of that. And I think it's no judgment on anyone, but for some of us, we just decide that actually the whole thing's too hard and we give up. And then for some of us, like myself, we have a moment overlooking a golf course at 35 years old and we say, I'd rather die than go back to the way I used to believe. And that is a huge turning point for any human being. I know it was for me. Wow. And so there was a second dark night of the soul. Yeah. The second, well, this, <laughs> I like how we're getting right down to it. Skip. Yes. Well, the second dark night of the soul actually came from plant medicine. I just did a huge, huge podcast with Ben Greenfield about this, where he said, I'm letting go of all plant medicine. And I said, that's probably a good thing to say, because for me, plant medicine started around that time, 2014, 2015 ish. And I was felt, I felt called to the medicine per se, because I was wanting that peace. I was wanting that courage. I think most of us are looking for peace and courage. And I think if we're just honest about that and we're not trying to bullshit each other, like, oh, I'm good, brother. I'm good, sister. Everything's fine. It's easy to do. It's easy to spiritually bypass and pretend, quote, quote, like we have everything we need, but it's actually not the case. And so that's what drove me to plant medicine was me being honest with myself about what I really needed. I needed courage and I needed peace. And I felt like based on some of my colleagues and my friends that had experienced that through ayahuasca and through entheogens that I would find it there. And you know what, Skip? I did. I did find it there. But also, I also found some darkness there too. And in a way, it was really beautiful because I got to explore a part of my soul in 2018. At the end of 2018, I went down to uh, a place in Costa Rica 
I'm not able to say the name of it because they've been written up in Vice recently and uh, I actually used to consult for them. So I'm not able to say their actual name here on the show, but y'all can just do a quick search <laughs> and figure it out. And I went down there and it was at this culmination, my 12th journey in ayahuasca that really broke me to my knees and I had an entity attach. And an entity is, for those of you who don't know, maybe you haven't followed Carl Jung's work or Jordan Peterson's work. When you open yourself up to higher dimensions, you bring in the light and you bring in the dark. And so that's what happened is the shaman was not properly trained at this place. The space was not being held in a sacred way. And also the leadership had a tainted sexuality energy to it as well. And so what happened for me was I had 20 years or so of pornography addiction in my life. And it was coming to a head at that point. I had just met Carrie, who's the mother of my child. Um, and it was like this deep, deep exploration of what are the things inside of me that are really dark, that are asking for healing, that are asking to come out, that are actually God's love, God's love flowing through my body. But I didn't see it like that at the time. In other words, I went to this place where the entity attached. I opened myself up to this dark darkness there in Costa Rica and when I came home, I did not feel like myself. I started to have looping thoughts like you would not believe, OCD, uh, very harmful, hurtful thoughts for months at a time. And I finally broke down after I'd done all my breath work. I know you and I uh, were trained with Niraj and Soma for quite some time. So I'm, I'm very anchored in my breath, but also that wasn't enough. And neither was any tool that I had to heal myself. And so I went to my mentor, Paul Check. And this is like a very, very low moment in my life yet again, like the second, I guess you could say bottom of the ocean moment. And I just, I was driving to Paul's house and I was just like, God, I, I really need your help. I really need your help. I need your guidance. I need your love. I don't know what this is all about, but please help me like a very humble moment. And when I got to Paul's house, I'll never forget this. He looked right at me and he said, it looks like you have a black crocodile on your body because he's a, a spirit guide medicine man. He's been well-trained with medicines over the past 30 plus years. And he taught me a very specific prayer um, and very specific physical and breath exercises to actually rid myself of the entity. Because people don't realize this, and I'll, I'll speak from my own experience, entities can only live in the space where you've created them. So in other words, if you have a space inside of you that an entity can live, it's going to live there. So if any of us go into a ceremony and we think that we're just going to receive all these cosmic downloads and it's going to be this beautiful experience, maybe, maybe, but maybe not. And maybe you opening yourself up to these energies that are very high that have been here for literally millions of years, right? Whatever created life, those energies are part of that. You open yourself up to that. And so I got to that place and it took me about a year and a half, Skip, to heal myself and it was beautiful, but I would not wish that on anyone else because some of the darkest, most terrible thoughts would loop in my mind over and over and over again. It's a true psychic break, right? The Native Americans call it soul loss. So I had a bit of soul loss and thank God that I was able to have that contrast that I came from because it gave me resilience. It gave me the ability to adapt to the entity that was honestly trying to devour my fucking soul. Yeah. So I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I've been there. Mm. Does it ever, is this something that you talk about on some of these solo casts that people can hear more about? Because I feel yes. like I, I get so fearful or concerned that this might be happening to a lot of people and they have no idea. Yet people who are not going to ayahuasca retreats, like this could be one of the factors of 
the various OCDs and, and various issues that they may experience. Sure. It's, it's beautiful timing. Literally tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's perfect that we're here. Tomorrow morning, we're releasing the podcast with Ben Greenfield. I implore everyone to listen to this podcast. If anything I've said so far has resonated with you or it's piqued your curiosity, trust that. And this is where I, I talk about intuition versus instinct. Instinct is a very harsh message. When we're instinctual, it's like, I need to eat. I need to have sex. I need to sleep. Instinct. It's totally different with intuition because if somebody's sitting here with us, watching us, being with us, and they get a little feather tickle or just like a little touch, that's intuition. That's intuition guiding you towards, hey, go look at that. Go read that. Go see that. It's it's very, very different. So anyways, everyone, if you're intuitively called, go listen to that podcast because we went very deep, Skip. I mean, like Ben was one of the early proponents when he went on London Reel with Brian Rose, and he's been all over the gamut on podcasting. A lot of the community here in Austin as well, you know, with Aubrey and the Onnit community and um, the plant medicines of, of many kinds have been high in the limelight. However, what we need to actually address is they're not for everyone. I would be suffice to say that plant medicines are probably not for everyone. They're for some. They're for some that can hold the wisdom but you have to be careful of unearned wisdom because if you're not like, again, if you're not ready to receive what God is giving you, or if you're not ready to defend against dark energies, when you open yourself up in that high dimension, there can be some very serious things that happen. And specifically people that have schizophrenia on their maternal or parental side, or people that have mental health issues on either side, or people that have dealt with any kind of serotonin disruption or any kind of neurological pathways. These are the things that need to be pulled into the conversation about medicine, about medicine. I have to tell everyone, it's not all love and light, bro. It's just not. Like people are evil and people are loving. Isaiah 45, 7 in the Bible. I'm not a religious guy again, but Isaiah 45, 7. I, the Lord, create good and evil, create light and dark. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, what do you think God's trying to tell us? Everything is God. God is no thing and everything at the same time. You and I are your unique point of consciousness expressing itself in a soup that's cosmic. Now, why is that? I don't know. It's a mystery. It's an absolute mystery while we're here, but we have to honor that mystery. When you and I get sick and drunk on our own intellect and we think that we can outsmart the mystery of the cosmos and the mystery of the universe, good luck. Good luck. We're rookies compared to God because we're made in the image of God. I feel like this this goes down in a beautiful line of questioning that I feel like you're so uniquely equipped to start talking about, which is you've done hundreds of episodes with incredible people and are friends with incredible people and have had so many of these journeys and experiences and conversations, right? I had this, this thing, this idea a long time ago where I was going to make a video um, to like my future children mm. and it was going to be for every birthday um there was going to be some video about here's what i'd want you to know about being one about being five about being 20 about being 23 24 25 for every single year right just what's the feather tickle for you what are some of those lessons that you might want to leave your son going into the future from all the beautiful things you've learned and what would you tell him if we were to go to let's say like year seven like yeah. what would be year seven Man, you just made all that energy around my heart expand when I think about my son, Nova. He's 13 months. And if he was seven and I was in a room with him or if he was reading a journal entry from me, something like that, what wisdom chunk would I pass down to him? I would say, first of all, 
if you have breath and you're breathing, son, if you can breathe, you can choose. If you can breathe, you can choose to regulate yourself, to love others, to be here in the current moment, regardless of the challenge or the intensity. If you can breathe, then you can choose. But if you're not breathing, there was many years in my life, there was two decades plus of my life where I wasn't breathing and that's what drove me to porn and food and all these other uh, coping strategies that I think men and women both use. And so I would tell him, I would say, son, you're seven years old, here's this beautiful gift I'm gonna give you, it's the gift of the breath. But not in a trendy, trite way, not in a way where you need to show everyone what you're doing. It's a gift that you give to yourself. Yeah, you can give other people the gift of the breath just by breathing properly around them. But, but we all know what it feels like when we're at home. We're locked in at home. And so many of us, we, we haven't been at home for so long because somewhere around 3, 5, 7, 10, somewhere in the first 10 years of our life, we have what's called a soul split. And there's many different psychological terms for this. Some could call it uh, capital T trauma. Some could call it adolescent trauma. Let's just say it's childhood trauma. We all experience it. And this is why so many of the men and women that lead the world, specifically older white men, I don't know why that is exactly, but they are traumatized. We are traumatized and we lead from that traumatized place. And you know what's the main thing, Skip, when we're traumatized that we're not doing is we're not breathing. A lack of breath is a trauma response. So when I am not breathing, I'm not safe in my body because I haven't processed whatever gave me the load to not feel safe. Then I'm going to project. I'm going to be that way with you right now at the table. I'm going to be that way when I'm with my son. I'm going to be that way when I'm with my woman, my friends, my community. And people can feel that. People can feel that because we all have this uh, sensory perception in our bodies. And so that's the gift I would give him as I would give him a shortcut to have his own path of wisdom that's not clouded by my wounding. And that's what we really have to focus on, all of us, all human beings. We have to realize that it is in our humble kneeling at the altar of truth that we all are wounded and we all have wisdom to share. But how do we share our wisdom without it being clouded by our wounding? That's a big one. That's a really big one because we have a lot of wounded leaders, wounded teachers, that are doing big things in the world, but they're fueled by pain, by self-hatred, by judgment. They're fueled by the wounding. And, and wounding is not a sustainable fuel for your dream. Love is, honesty is, but that's not for everyone right now. It, it is for you and I, and it is for the people that are here. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening in this moment. But many of us have to take an honest inventory of what is the wounding I have that is truly clouding my wisdom and be honest about it. And then it takes the pressure off. It's like, hey, I'm fucked up. So are you. And I'm also beautiful. I also have so much to share with the world. And I think there's real power in that, in that honesty. Wow. As a seven-year-old, he's going to be like, whoa, dad. I probably wouldn't use those terms with him. <laughs> I would make it like a little more yeah. seven-year-old seven language. I'd be like, hey, buddy. Like, I don't know. You're seven-year-old. Maybe he's ready for that. Maybe. Maybe. He, he might be. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. Let's go. Let's jump yeah. to, let's say 16. Okay. Um, Ooh, Nova at 16. Let's see. Oh, my so gosh. So rebellious. He is going to be. So for all the parents out there, we all know that we want our children to be a certain way or we wish... Uh, a certain level of affluence or success for our kids but life's going to do what it does 
And God has a plan for everyone, regardless of the plan they have for themselves. And so when he's 16, I am hoping, I am desiring that Nova is leaning towards his creative pursuits because creative pursuits are the things that make money without sacrificing our health. And I know that from my own experience, like the greatest gift I could ever give to my son, any parent could ever give to their child is to teach them the wisdom they know without the wounding that they still carry. And I still have some wounding because that's the human experience, right? But this is the coolest part is I could tell him at 16, hey son, whatever you're into, whatever you're creating, whatever you love, how can I help you do that more? How can I help you create more, love more, feel more, play more, whatever it looks like, however your joys in life manifest, how can I help you do that more? And how can I help you do it from a place of, of responsibility? Because I think a lot of latchkey kids or, or trust fund kids, they may not have the contrast that you and I have experienced in our lives where we can come from nothing at times. And I think there's something really powerful about coming from nothing because when you come from nothing, whatever you show up with, you had to earn. And there's some sacredness and some beauty and some fulfillment there. You know, there's this word behind you, fulfillionaire. It's like, you can be a millionaire, but if you're doing it and you're not fulfilled, who cares? Who cares how much money you have if you don't love it? You could sell vacuum tubes for a medical device company. But if you're not stoked on that, if you don't get up every morning, you're like, I can't wait to sell these vacuum tubes, then who cares how rich you are? Who cares? Because it's going to eat away at your soul. So I would tell my son to do what he wants to do to create something loving in the world and keep going with that. And dad will help you out. I'll help you out because yeah. I'm doing it myself right now. Absolutely. Gosh, I'll, be, like, I'll be a lot older then. Woo. Yeah. You said earlier, you said you made a deal with the devil. I feel like we could call that making a deal with an angel. Mm, yeah. And I guess that's just a metaphor that my mind can understand or maybe that we can understand through conversation. It doesn't have to be the archetypes of, of devil and angel, God. And it, it could be anything like I did the thing that I felt wasn't what I wanted. That could be a deal with the devil. I think we all make little deals with the devil, but the devil's inside of us. There's a devil in me. There's a devil in you. There's also God in us because all is God. And so I don't know if it was necessarily like me sitting at a table and going, okay, I'll, I'll sacrifice my dream for comfort. I, I don't think it was sign here in blood. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, I don't think it was a conscious thing for me. I think it was a subconscious thing. And many of us are directed subconsciously all the time, but we just don't have the, the faculty to understand it. Only now here at the table, I can say, yeah. That was a deal with the devil. That was a deal for me to be, quote, comfortable. I made a dream with my, or I made a, a sacrifice of my dream in reward for comfort. And I think that's really sad. And it's not me shaming myself in the past. I have a lot of compassion and love for myself in the past. And it's not about me shaming anyone else that decides to put their dream in a box and check on it every few years. All I'm saying is we all know it's there. So we may as well look at it anyways. Mm. We may as well cultivate, remember the courage and the peace, which is what we're all looking for. We all want courage. We all want peace because if we had enough courage to deal with the things that come our way, then we'd have the peace because they're already done. And I think the society attacks those two aspects of ourselves all the time, which is why what you and I do is so important. Mm. So I'm going to take like a selfish question on this next one, because I'm kind of around the age range I would have pushed you to next, which is a question around doing. So let's say you, or I'm just going to go straight from my perspective. So there is a lot of beautiful projects that I'm involved in now. There was a point in time where I did a lot of things that were 
I wouldn't say I ever did anything just for the money, actually. I mm. think I've always done things out of passion. And I got really, really lucky at a young age to have great mentors like yourself. Good now, for you, man. Who really guided that whole process. Yeah. However, now I've like consistently minimized, not minimized, essentialized things in my life to take away. So like at the beginning of this year, I said, I'm going to do my current business. I'm going to do the dojo and I'm going to do, which is the live events, the gear you saw downstairs and a digital program. And I'm going to do this show because the current business is like the income. I love it. It's geeky. It's passionate. I don't want to talk about it because it's going to get really long, but we can talk about when we're not filming. And then the second thing is the dojo, which is like my gift to the world. Mm. It's like something that I discovered that's like literally everyone can heal their own injuries for the rest of their life. And it takes like a couple hours to learn how to do that forever. Pretty incredible. So I want to make sure I give that to the world. And then the show is like, I have these conversations regardless all the time and I love it. It takes very little time out of my week. And what I've realized is this is actually more of an Instagram show than it is a podcast. Mm. And that's kind of the way I've steered it over time as I'm noticing, like we'll get so many clips that get 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 views on Instagram, one clip, right? And that one clip will have something deeply meaningful that will really impact a lot of people. I'll get a lot of messages. The hosts will get emails about it. People are like changing their life because of a 60 second, a 90 second reel. And then of course, if they click through to the full interview, I've got people who are, you know, as I'm sure you have, like super fans who like binge yeah. every episode and they give me their notes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a book, what they just gave me of notes. Amazing. Right? So my question for you is, I'm now that I've gone down this essentialism route and I've really cut away a lot of the extra businesses I was playing a part in, I've gained so much capacity in that time and so much coherence in that time that all these beautiful dreams of mine that I've had for years are showing up left and right. Mm. And I just have to say yes. So like Immortal Studios being one of them, the movies, the comics, all of that. Like I watched Naruto growing up as a kid and I've wanted to create the next generation's Naruto my whole life. When I was a kid, I said, I want to be the CEO of Disney films. So then suddenly I do all this stuff and then that just shows up, right? And suddenly they need everything that I'm capable of and I love doing it. It's a lot on my plate, right? All of these different things. It doesn't feel overwhelming. I wouldn't use that word for it. It's just like there's a lot there. So yeah. if your son was like 30-ish and he just got past his like Saturn return and he's in his power and he's in this creative space, like what would you tell him? Wow, I really think it would be almost identical. Actually, it would be 80% identical conversation I had with him earlier. And with the extra percentage, I would ask him, well, share with me, son, what you've learned. I would engage in real, authentic curious conversation with him, which is something that, and it's no, it's no direct knock to my father. He just didn't know how to do it. Right. So I never had, there was never an, an art form of conversation with my own father and neither it was for him and his father and definitely for my great, great. And I think there's something to be said about woven in your question is the medicine of intergenerational trauma and intergenerational healing. Because anytime I'm asking great questions in the way that I ask the question, there's already the answer that's coming right back at me. And so your question was, what would I ask him if he was 30, if he was on mission, if he was on point, I would just simply look back to our previous notes 
And I would say, well, tell me, son, like, what have you learned? What have you learned from the way that you've been leading your life and the way that your mission's been unfolding? Like, share with dad, what's the most exciting stuff that's happened? And, and also, share with me the stuff that's hurt the most. And then I would give him my unclouded, that's the key, wisdom. And I would be honest with him about my similar life experiences. Because the greatest teachers in the world don't have it all figured out. The greatest parents in the world don't have it all figured out. And kids, no matter what age they are, they can sniff out bullshit. Women, bees, dogs, they all smell fear. <laughs> and so kids too, you can throw kids in that loop. And so if you, if you have a child, whether it's two, 20 or 40, and dad is talking to child, um, cause he's always going to be my, my little boy, you know, even when he becomes a man, I'll still remember holding him at three in the morning when he pukes on my shoulder. Like that'll still, that'll always be there. And so I would share with him a platform and a spaciousness where he can feel fully safe to express himself in conscious, curious communication where there's like a tennis match back and forth with dad and son, but I don't get so triggered, so clouded by my unhealed wounding that the radical wisdom that I have to share with my son about my own life experience and about being curious about his, that can be pure. That doesn't have to be blocked and that can actually come through. Wow. And if we're going to just advance past that point, I feel like in so many of your statements, you have revealed certain practices, certain, we'll call it standards of the way that you live, right? Whether it's your breath work and being having that access to your breath or whether it's various movement practices and what you've learned from like the plant allies over the years and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. All of these different things seem to stack on each other. Do you have off the top of your head, like a core five or six practices that you're like, these are the things that I do every day. And here's the reason that I use them, like different tools in your Batman tool belt of living a beautiful life. Yes. Okay. Well, what I'm going to talk about, everybody can find it right now when they're watching and listening. So just go to joshtrent.com forward slash M21. The reason I chose morning 21 or M21 is because 21, 21 minutes. Oh, okay. So joshtrent.com forward slash M21. The reason is, is there's six foundational uh, principles and practices that I have in the guide there. And so I, I thought, okay, out of 300 ish, I built the, I built the guide after about 300 ish podcasts. And I was like, what are all the world leaders actually doing? Like, what are the, <laughs> what are the Tim Ferriss doing? What are like the rich roles doing? What are all the emotionally intelligent people doing? What are the world-class women leaders doing? And they all were doing about four to six things. And so I'll break it down right now. I mean, it's actually quite simple, but just because something is simple does not mean it's easy. So what I offer in the M21 is some guidance on a daily basis where people can actually do the things do you do these that things? I'm sharing with you. And these are the things that I do. I did it this okay. morning. That's why I was late, actually, because mm. I didn't want to sacrifice. I'm, if I don't show up to a conversation filling my own cup, then I show up empty. And that's why I was like a little bit, you know, I, Nova was up late. I slept in a little bit. Then I had to get my stuff done. So here we are. So I'm, I'm walking my talk and what I'm about to share. So the first thing that you do is you make your bed. I know that sounds crazy, but there was a Navy Admiral. I forgot his name. And he, he talked about the reward circuitry in the brain. We all have a limbic system and that limbic system thrives on reward. And so if you give yourself a reward first thing in the morning, now it could be cold tank too. Maybe you can swap out your bed with a cold tank, whatever. Something very uncomfortable. Who wants to make their bed? No one wants to make their bed in the morning, but it's a really big deal because when you overcome our default mode network, which is essentially what keeps us ruminating in the past or anxious and fearful about the future, 
when I can turn down the volume of my default mode network, and we can talk about breath work as well, doing the exact same thing. The way that I turn down the volume of negativity in my brain is that I push through that voice. I push through that discomfort and I do the thing, even if it's small, I do the thing that my soul, that my heart wants me to do. So I get up, I make my bed. It takes, I don't know, a minute, 45 seconds, maybe 30 seconds if you have the Ikea one where you can just like throw it over, right? So, so I get that done. And then the very next thing I do is I walk out, I have this big Berkey filter and I throw some element in a 32 ounce ball jar and I pound it. And I go 32 ounces of water with magnesium right away. And the reason is because when you and I sleep, we're off gassing, you know, we're like a convection oven. And so we actually, we respirate all night long and we lose so much water. The reason why most of us feel tacky mouth when we wake up is because we're off gassing. I mean, we're, our bodies are literally expelling water all night long. Now, if you look at some of the research, even being dehydrated 1% can cut cognition and, and brain function down by 20% or more. So that's the thing that I do. And then the very next thing that I do is I actually move and I move before I journal. I move before I do any of the heady stuff because I'm fresh. I've hydrated. I've already rewarded my brain. And then I move and essentially what I have in the guide that are scripted out with videos and whatnot. And this is all free, by the way, because this works. And I thought, well, you can go look it up anyways, but I may as well give it to you for free organized is I do what's called a womb squat. And a womb squat is when you can grab a post or a table, you sit with your hips all the way down below your knees, your feet are up 45 and you touch the ground and you reach up to the ceiling and you start alternating doing that about 15, 20 times. You lubricate all the spine, you open up the hips, you get your thoracic spine to extend. This is all my old personal trainer terms, but you basically start juicing up your body the way that it would be juiced up if you did a workout. But the womb squat isn't necessarily a workout, it's just mobility. And then after that, after that, I actually go in the sauna because I like to do what's called synergy stacking. I like to do things <laughs> two at once. I go in the sauna and in the sauna, I speak. A lot of times you can do a type or you can journal with your hand, pen and paper, but I speak my journal entry into my Evernote. So I'll sit in the sauna and I'll speak and I'll be like, hey, here's the date. And I name, this is what I do too. I name all my journal entries with the theme of what I'm feeling. So like this morning, for example, it was like, interview with skip question mark. I didn't really know you. I didn't really know what we were going to talk about. And so I just told myself what was front and center for me. A lot of it was about my son, which is really cool as to why you even asked those questions. And so when I'm done with that, I always end it with three things that I'm truly grateful for, not things that I can kind of tick the box. Oh, I'm grateful for food. Unless you really are. If you're, if you're really grateful for food, then like feel that. But I think so many of us have heard all the personal development gurus be like, you have to be grateful. You have to be grateful. It's like this gratitude parade and that's good. But if I'm not somatically experiencing gratitude and I'm not feeling it in my solar plexus and in my belly, then I'm not really grateful for it. So I put those, th those three things down. Um, and then I do my breath work and this is what I cap it with. The breath work is where I really get still. I really can take whatever I just thought, whatever I just felt, and I can put it into action. I do 20 to 30 warrior breaths, which is just simply a quick breath in and out through the mouth. So it would be like this. So 20 to 30 of those breaths. Then I do two counts of five second box breath. And then I do a 15 second hold and an exhale. And I always go back to my journal and I'll write something else that came through. Because as you know, with our breath training, there are so many things that try to creep in and, and block our creative flow. 
when I access, when I harness my own default mode network and I am in control of it rather than it being in control of me, I can break the bond of slavery to my own biology. And when I break that bond of slavery to my own biology, then I'm the manifest destiny. I'm the leader of my day. I'm actually doing what it is that my heart, that my soul, that my curiosity wants to do. And so those, those six practices are, are key. Those are the six that I think everyone should do in the morning. And honestly, they don't have to take 21 minutes. They could take 12 minutes, of 15, course. 15 minutes. Yeah. 21 is just a cool number. I like threes. I like the Fibonacci cool. sequence. And 21. Thank you. There probably will be a Mission Impossible 21 someday. Maybe. maybe. And then you're going to have to change the name because it'd be like a trademark thing. They're going to come after me. I guess it'd be MI21. So you should be safe. Okay, you're good. You're just going to pick up some of the traffic that forgot to put the I in their search bar. I love me some traffic, Skip. There we go. Mission Impossible <laughs> traffic, too. That's great. Hey. I mean, everybody's trying. It's cool. I didn't know that about your background with the superheroes and the studios. Like we all, the reason we love that stuff is because inside of us, there's always this hero trying to come out. There's always this hero trying to poke through the bullshit that society feeds us. I think society is the way it is because we're meant that the hero on the, we're, we're told that the hero on the screen isn't us. But the reason that heroes are so popular and you know avengers or superman the reason all these things are so popular is because when you and i look at the screen we see ourselves in the hero we see how we can succeed we see how we can develop the courage to have that peace most of these superheroes the reason we trust them is because they have they have the courage and they have the peace those are their anchors right they go through ordeals that's otherwise it wouldn't be a cool movie wouldn't be a cool story but um I think we all are the hero actually in some way. We just need the courage to step up to that. Yeah. The slogan for the company is awaken your hero. And it's all about helping people awaken their own heroes. That's it. And oh my God, I love what's it. What's really cool and beautiful about what we're building with it is every single character starts as like a regular human. So the way that the power levels work is no one's born into like godhood or anything like that. Mm. They all start as human. And with the different power levels or characters, we're jumping through timelines, showing you how they became what they are. But everyone does the same process. They all meditate. They all train in different martial styles throughout the world. Uh, it could be anywhere in the world. So there's people that are featured from like South America. There's mm. Africans. There's Silk Road storyline. There's all the classical Eastern storylines. But it's the whole world. There's Vikings, right? So people who have just trained in martial genres, martial arts, mm. and they all cultivate the chi, cultivate their abilities in the same way and takes a similar amount of time unless they have crazy mentors, which some of the characters do have crazy mentors. They still have to cultivate it in the same way. And I think that's very true of humanity in general, which is the whole idea. It's called Wu Shao, right? It's like mm. this literary tradition of the martial hero genre. So if you've ever seen like Karate Kid, right? Miyagi is able to do some like crazy things. And it's because he's like cultivated that ability, which is kind of what you're discussing with all of this stuff is cultivating that listening to that deeper knowing, right? And so yeah. that kind of brings me back to when you said you wanted to be this radio show host and you felt that at a very young age. And at the same time, you had that cognitive dissonance of knowing that that's, you could feel that's what you wanted, but you were like, I don't like the way it's happening. And it's like this, it was like this very intentional preparation to get you to the point where podcasts would become what they are so that you could then do that. And if people who are listening or watching don't understand how big of a deal it is to interview Ben Greenfield, it's a huge deal to interview Ben Greenfield, along with many other people like Paul Check being your mentor, right? 
a lot of really incredible people on the show and guests and whatnot, right? What do you think have been the most profound episodes for you where you were like, you got done and you had to re-listen to it several times and change massive things about your own life? Ha. Um, I would say every single episode gives me a bit of new wisdom and a bit of new wellness, which is why I call the show wellness and wisdom. That's what the whole podcast is about. And I had to go through my own, by the way, and I, I promise I'll answer your question, but I got to give y'all a little backstory. Okay. We all go through death and rebirth. It's exactly what the hero's journey is talking about. It's why possibly the films come through the way they come through for you. We all go through separation, initiation, and return. What I felt in December of last year and specifically in January was my old show was called wellness force. And if you look at the etymology of the word force, the Latin roots are about energy moving without control, like a like an unbridled lipizzan or stallion, like a black beauty or a tidal wave or a cyclone. These things in nature, forces of nature can't always be controlled, but they're extremely powerful and they command respect. And that's not what I want to be in the world. I don't want to be a force of nature that commands respect. I am training to be, and I'm not there yet. And I hope, you know, with humility to God that I'll be there at some point, but my hope and my belief is that I will be this beacon of wellness and wisdom for other people based on my own sharing of authenticity from the lessons that I've learned. How did I get more courage? How did I get more peace? And so I had to give that as a backstory because it's so important that the honesty is there. That is like the number one thing. I just like rose up in my seat feeling that because the best thing I could ever do is just be honest about what I know and what I've truly integrated. So the the most powerful episodes have come when I have a guest who's done that very thing. And for me, there's probably 20 guests that pop up. Um, Jamie wheel was a big one. Jamie wheel, Jamie wheel in um, here in Austin a few years ago. Um, just the way he speaks and his verbal fluency and the way he lives. He shared a moment with me right before we recorded. I've never said this before. This is such a cool memory. I had come out here for paleo FX. It was the first time I was learning how to use cameras. So I brought all the cameras and set them up and he was sharing with me that his, um, his child was about to go off to college and I could really feel from him like a genuine sadness that his child was going to go to college. And I thought, wow, this is a really, really honest man. So wise, so articulate and, and so serving, but also just so honest. And that was powerful. And then, you know, years later, I got to have a deeper relationship with Paul and Paul is also very, very honest as well. Paul is honest about his relationship with his abusive stepfather and father. He's, he's honest about the things that he's done. He's honest about the projections, the wounding that he still carries, even as a leader, a global leader for the world. And you don't really see that from the Deepak Chopras. You don't really see that from the Dispenzas. You don't. And, and they're very powerful in their own right. So it's not a knock on them. But I tend to gravitate and resonate more towards people like the Pauls um, and people that are really being honest about where they are and, and the wisdom that they have. So that was a really big one. Uh, who else? Dan Brule was actually a really good one too. He teaches breath mastery. He was Tony Robbins' breath coach. Um, that was really powerful. There's been so many, man. You put me on the spot right now. There's no way I'm, I'm leaving off 19, 18 special interviews that yeah. have really moved my soul. But the one, the last thing I'll say is we did a, almost a four hour series, a three part podcast with Paul and, um, it was called all is God. 
And that was a, the deepest dive I've ever done that rattled me so much that I actually went home and I developed a new relationship with God. I used to think of God as uh, the enemy. I used to think of God as some kind of enemy force because if God couldn't heal my mom and God couldn't take away the suffering in the world and really trying to be an intellectual person about God, that was the turning point for me. You can't intellectualize God. You have to become a heretic. You have to become someone who actually feels the presence of God. And so those ones were big. Jamie Wheel and Paul. And there's been so many. Kelly Brogan actually was great. She taught me this concept of the healing spiral where you and I, in our creative pursuits and our relationships, healing is a spiral. We all go up and around at the same time. So sometimes when you thought you've quote healed something, it comes back around for more healing, but you're always going up as long as you keep leaning into the blade, as long as you keep leaning into the healing. Um, and that episode I think was 333, which is really interesting, the numerology of that. So th those three come to mind, but you know, there's so, so many. Dr. John Gray really rocked my world with how to relate to my woman and how to hold true space with her. Ooh. Ooh. I think you and Stefanos talked about that where he's yes. like, what do I even do to hold space? What is space, bro? What, <laughs> yeah. what do I even... He goes, he goes something like, uh, yeah. hold space, brother. Hold space, brothers. <laughs> I, I will agree with him. And I will say that it's actually not about holding space. It's not. It's about being the space. Because if I hold the space, there's efforting there. So if I'm like holding the space for my woman, then that means I'm like, trying to fight my own ego, my own projections, my own things that I want to shout at her rather than just <sighs> if I can breathe, I can choose using my own medicine. Then I'm not actually holding anything. I'm just being in the space with her, which is so freeing to the feminine because then she can dance and sing and flow and talk or complain or bitch or be in joy as much as she wants. Now, of course, there's a learning curve there. I don't have it mastered yet, Skip. <laughs> it's not fully, it's not like 100% done. Uh, there's always lessons to be learned. Oh, we have a guest calling. It's your wife. Let's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you forgot the eggs yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah, we, yeah. we, our partner always offers us the most powerful mirror and magnifying glass to, to show me and all of us where we still get triggered. And wherever I still get triggered, that truly is some invitation. I don't know the exact metaphor to use here, but it's like this RSVP for your own healing. Someone triggers you so deeply that you lash out at them or you feel like you have to hurt that other person. It's because some kind of uh, poison is inside of us and we all get it. We all get poisoned, right? To be a human is to get poisoned. When I feel like I have to spew that poison at someone else, it's because I haven't learned whatever it wants to get from me or to, to be healed from me yet. In other words, I, I, spew at others what I am asking for healing for myself and relationships are a ultimate crucible for that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say don't hold this space cause there's, there's like, ah, oh, you're yeah. flexing. It's like force. just, just it's force. Yeah. Just be the space, be, yeah. be the space instead. Yeah. So the new title of this show, so it used to be called becoming a fulfillioner uh. and the new title of the show that just switched last week is the wonder soul show. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. That um, feels better for you. Just meeting you. That, that feels better. Yeah. It was a really yeah. interesting, the, the whole backstory is fascinating, but 
the slogan that kind of came to me through all of this. So the reason why I was able to to do these like miracle healing things was because at one point I just started to operate under the assumption that the body, the human body is perfect. Mm. And from a PT background, that is not the assumption. And when I started operating with that, it really spun a lot of things, 90 degrees or more, right? So for instance, if you have a tight muscle, must be perfect. Don't loosen it. That's like a huge statement in that world, right? Especially when it's high pressure situations. Sure. But when I started to go into the assumption that, oh, it's tight and that must be perfect because this is the most advanced piece of technology in the universe that I'm aware of is the human body. Can we agree? Probably, right? That yes. we're aware of? Yes. Yeah. But I think the body's the most intelligent organism that this world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's all I that can we know speak of. to. Yeah, that's yeah. all I can speak that to. But of. it's definitely the most intelligent being mm -hmm. on the planet. Yeah, this thing is capable of ridiculous things. So beyond what we understand, right? Yeah. And I've yeah. seen some crazy miracles happen with everything, with breath work, with Joe Dispenza, with the stuff that I teach. Like, yes. it's all it all is able to help us have miraculous things happen. So I started operating under this assumption that your body is perfect. As soon as I did that, and I started from ground zero with all of the education that I'd ever had on the body and said like, okay, if all these symptoms are perfect things, how does that change the way we're going to interact with it? And then as I've expanded through that over the years, eventually I'm doing all these other things. I was a speaker when I was 18. I worked with this youth education motivational speaker, and that was one of the mentors that kind of guided me, right? And there was a bunch of great mentors following that, and now like... I get to do this all the time. Vision is a close friend who's helped me a lot with things. And you've seen all the episodes basically are my friends at this point, right? Mm -hmm. These are people that I was like, oh, why don't you come do an episode that's, now, right? That's how mine have become. Yeah. yeah. And and you, this one included, right? Like yeah. we've just bumped into each other a lot over the years. And eventually we're like, okay, let's like make this happen. Yeah. So eventually the discovery I made about life as well, talking to people like Stephanos, talking to people like yourself, was that your life is also perfect. So, and if we operate under that assumption, it also shifts a lot of things. If we start from that as a ground zero of just assuming that this is all perfect, that everything that happens to you is extremely intentional and extremely perfect, it's like it's always going to work out no matter what. However, it could happen a lot with a lot less suffering, still just as much pain, mm -hmm. but maybe a lot less suffering mm -hmm. if you operate with the assumption that your life is perfect. And that's the slogan of Wondersoul as a company that operates a lot of different businesses, this just being one of them, that your life is perfect. And so that's kind of the the mission, the vision of everything is just sharing that and sharing all these beautiful stories with people to help them attempt to take that belief to the best of their ability as quickly as they can so that you can start to shift the way you look at everything. So that being said, you've grown an incredibly successful podcast at this point. And you've done it in a very unique way, in my opinion. So as I was doing research for this and kind of looking at all the various shows and looking at all the snippets I could find of you talking, because it's hard to find you talking, actually. All right, which, not anymore. We're doing more of that. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah. So as I was discovering all these things, I was like, what have been your biggest learnings in the media realm? Like, and it's kind of a double question of whatever kind of tickles you, but what have been your biggest learnings in promoting media and like teaching on this more mass awareness space and in conversation with just one-on-one -on -one, what have been your biggest learnings and i think there might be some shared philosophy there 
between mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. of those? Like, how have you gotten what you would consider the best conversations with some of these amazing people and the conversations that have been able to impact more people? What have you learned there? And maybe also like any business stuff you've kind of picked up along the way. Okay. That's a multi-loaded question Let's right there. Go. Well, I would say that when it comes to the art of conversation, there's the momentum of whatever preparation I've done that makes the guest feel the most comfortable. In other words, if I prep and I really, I, I hear them on a show, I consciously take note of the questions that they probably always get asked. And I purposely do not ask them those questions. I also lead from my own stomach. It's like my stomach, my solar plexus, my heart, my throat. I just get really connected here and I go, okay, what do I truly want to know? Not what I should ask, not what's going to make the best IG real. Although sometimes what I want to know does make the best IG real because it's like polarizing, you know, because I, I want to get down to what's below the pebbles. I want to get down to like the bedrock with people. And so to the degree I've prepared, then I think their nervous system can feel that on some etheric level. And then that makes them more comfortable. When a guest is more comfortable, they might cry. I've had so many people cry on the podcast because... I just genuinely care and I love it. I'm like, God, crying is so much raw emotion. It's like what we need, especially as men, but it's just as human beings, we need to, we all need to cry a little bit more actually. And so when I have somebody that I've done the work with to, to actually let go and cry on a podcast, that makes people connect. Or when someone's being really honest, you asked me earlier, what are the people that have changed my life the most through interviews? It's the people that have had the courage to be honest. And then there's peace after that. So I would say that on an interview front, those are the, probably the big things. You know, how do I prepare? How do I make them feel comfortable? How do I lead from that curious heart, like the heart of a child? Like when my son, my son does this thing all the time. He like points. He goes, head like he doesn't know how to talk yet, but he uses a little verbiage and he points, but it's like, that's his curiosity. I can see his spark already. It's so beautiful. And we all have that. We, our heart goes like this. And it tries to point at something and it goes, I want that. What's that? What's that? Now, where does that come from? Where does that curiosity actually come from? We don't know other than the only way we can intellectualize it or understand it is it's God's creation uniquely expressed through a point of consciousness called Skip or called Josh. And if I can just honor that as I sit with somebody and not try to have to like figure them out or make them get too vulnerable. In other words, if I don't have like an intellectual pre-plan of exactly how the show has to go, the show goes amazing. Because yeah, I might have my Evernote and my iPad with like 15, 20 questions on it. And I may look down from time to time. But for the most part, that's just a guardrail. That's not going to be the meat of what we're going to explore. On a business standpoint, I would say it's multi-contoured. It's like we have to be able to to be a successful podcaster or just successful business person specifically though like let's just say a media person you have to be willing to not sell your fucking soul that's first and foremost so many brands approach me and they like ship me books or ship me stuff and i look at the ingredients and it's complete dog shit or i can or i do a quick search and the founder is like a zealot or just i'm not aligned with the mission If I was in a low place in my life and I was just starting my podcast and I was just starting, I am so much more susceptible. And this is what any media creator has to be wary of. When you're starting your media journey as a creator, you have to be aware that you are more susceptible to selling your soul. In other words, when money's tight, when stress is high, you are more susceptible because you have to take care of the bottom level of your triangle, right? 
safety, security, food, shelter, then procreation, then expression. If you look at Maslow's triangle, I have to be able to know that about myself. And so if you don't have as a creator, a very solid self-awareness practice, you're done. You're done because people are going to sniff you out. And I say this from personal experience because in 2015 and in 2016-ish, I was operating from scarcity. I would literally do almost anything I could. I didn't have sponsors at that time. I didn't have affiliate deals at that time because my audience was too small. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God that God didn't give me that opportunity because I would have sold out. I would have. But I don't sell out now because I know the price for that. Double fold. Like when I sold my soul to the devil earlier, now I've gotten it back and I know what it feels like to be to be real. And unfortunately, I see so many people that reach out to me that maybe want like a friendship, but then in a couple of weeks, they're like, Hey, can you actually introduce me to so-and-so? And I get this flag in my psyche that says, huh, I wonder if they'd be my friend if I didn't know the people I know, if I couldn't do something for a friend because of my media experience, would they still want to hang out? Would they still value what I do in the world? And I think the answer, unfortunately, sometimes is no. So from a business standpoint, we have to be very powerful networkers. We have to know where to go and, and what to say from an authentic place and also to not sell our soul. And then of course, you know, the crunchy stuff, the business acumen, the technology, which you're really good at, what gear do I buy? Um, how do I make sure that my systems are in place with my admin and my EA and my video team and my sound engineer and my graphic designer. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on to create epic content. But, but from a bedrock, the, the virtues that I shared with you earlier are, are what all of the heady things are built upon. And this is one thing I'll say to creators as well is when you're starting out, there is a propensity to focus on the gear, the tech, the branding, the name, none of that matters. You have to just go create. What was the name of your new show? Wonder Soul Show. You have to be in wonder and you have to be connected to your soul in order to create anything of value. Otherwise, it's just intellectual babble. It's mental masturbation. And the world has enough of that. The world has enough of, you know, clickbait clips that make you click and make you feel like shit after you watch them. I mean, this, this past week, this is the fourth day, knock on wood. I deleted Instagram. I deleted Facebook from my phone. And I only have them on my iPad. That means once or twice a day, not on my phone anymore. I go to my iPad, I post, I engage, I put the iPad down, I go home from the studio. That's awesome. That's some wisdom that will cut everybody some mental health bandwidth right now. Like I challenge everyone to do that right now. Give yourself a two week time period, watch your screen time, check in with your soul, check in with your mental health and go, okay, for two weeks, can I only use social media on an iPad? Mm. And can I only have that iPad at home or, or out of the way? So that, got, that's a big one. Yeah, I've got, we're, we're like out of time, but I have a huge question I feel like I have to ask right Let's now. Let's go. And then I'll jump on my call. Okay. Um, thank you for that. So the question I have is, so you're a dad, you have a 13 month old son. Um, his mother is awesome. You guys are creating this epic family union. I'm assuming you're going to have more children. I hope you're going to have more children. The plan is to have more. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So with that all being said, there was a point in time where you were a single guy doing the show and, you know, cutting your teeth and business and doing all this stuff, right? When I notice when people get more responsibilities, especially men. So this is going to be like a very, let's just call it like masculine answer. Sure, right? sure. 
What's your philosophy on being a man and responsibility and how that kind of plays a role in business? Because for so many of us, and there was a point in time, um, and I still sort of hold this belief a little bit, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, that until you have your business at a certain point, until you have your confidence at a certain point, until you, until you, until you, mm. you should not have a kid. You should not look for a wife. You should, you know, all of these things. What's your philosophy on that for people watching? Whatever your mind is telling you about whether you should or should not have children, don't listen to that. I have a process in my work that we can link. I know we're at the end of the show, but it's it's emotional intelligence squared. It's the EI2 process. It's what I'm going to put into the new book. It's It's what I've learned in my life. And if I direct everything from my intellect, I become a victim of intellectualization. I become a victim of my own mind. So I have to, we all have to, it's a have to. It's also a get to, but it's a have to connect what I believe is a soul compass. We have to have our soul, which is higher power, some kind of spiritual connection to answer this specific question. We have to have our heart open enough that to have it navigate what the answer is because the heart knows. And we do have to have our mind in communion with our heart and with our soul. So these three lenses become a kaleidoscope where we can look down and go, okay, let me breathe. Let me feel into that question. And that's the key. Let me somatically experience. Let me feel the question of, should I have children? It's not should or shouldn't I? Those are the wrong words. It's do I feel called to have a child? Do I feel pulled? Pulling's different than pushing. Do I feel pulled to have a child? If so, the timing of your life, quote, quote, doesn't really matter. You have to have your bases covered. You have to have food and shelter and all these things. My income tripled when I had Nova, tripled, no joke. Like we're in a very good place. Obviously there's room to grow, tripled. But it's because I felt that responsibility. And the last thing I'll say is I was response able. The etymology is right there. Remember the question is in the answer and the answers in the question. It's the same thing. How do I become more responsible? Oh, okay. Well, how do I become more response able? self-regulation, breath work, understanding, unpacking trauma, understanding who I am at a core level, knowing my value, my purpose in the world, understanding how I relate to others. What am I projecting? What's clouded by my wounding? What wisdom do I have to share that's not being fulfilled, that's not being shared? All I mean, I, I bang those out pretty quick, but it's because I've been in the trenches for so long churning this stuff up that I can sit here and answer it to you from my heart with no notes because it's real. It's here for me. And there is no ultimate perfect time to have a child. But the, the question is, how do I ask a better question from those three places, from my emotional intelligence squared, from that lens of three? And there's a lot of process there that we can unpack maybe on another show. But that's the way that you answer that kind of question. When it comes to a question of the heart, you have to bring the mind and the soul along, but you cannot let the mind be the dictator. Otherwise, your heart will be silenced and your connection to God will be severed. And I want everyone to just fill in the blank with child, with any big decision you're trying to make in your life. Anything. Career, partner, friendship, moving, any major decision, even minor decision. What what am I going to eat for breakfast today? You could use the same process that That's Josh right. just described. You could even do, if at any point you needed to make a big decision, let's go back to the M21 and do those 21 minutes and then make the big decision. Yes. Dial in, right? Because if your mind is very busy and you haven't done all this training... You want to quiet that first and just allow the mind to be a piece of what you're listening to 
dial into that heart. Mm -hmm. And as you dial into the heart more and more over time, you start to hear the soul more. You start to get those knowings more. The heart is that feather, that brush or that passion. But the soul is like that deeper knowing of like, oh, I'm supposed to be like a radio show host, but I don't, I don't like these people. I don't like how it works right now. I don't have the skills or the voice or any of that. And then you did mm -hmm. over time, right? Mm -hmm. So that knowing was there. And we all have that when we're younger, for sure. I and mean, I think we have it at all times. The question is, is there stuff that's screaming over the top of it that's much louder? And how can we allow that to be a voice, just not the only voice that's participating? So thank you so much for just giving that breakdown. And when people fall in love with you, what's the easiest way they can digitally stalk you? Okay, stalk me at joshtrent.com forward slash podcast. So just go there, subscribe to the Wellness and Wisdom podcast and just be a part of my journey so I can be a part of yours. And also joshtrent.com forward slash M21. I also have a breathe program that I gave credit to not just Niraj, but Dan and so many of my teachers in breath as well. And that's at breathwork.io. That's our breathe three week journey as well. People can go check that out. That's from my own life experience as well. Epic. Awesome. I think I'm going to check that out. That yes. sounds great. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank this you, was man. This was epic. This I know. Was... I wish we had more time. We'll do I it know. again. We'll, we'll do, do more. Again. We'll do more. All right, y'all.